Um, yeah, it's it's you know. Anyway, I'm Johnny Lynch. That's Glennon, and we're here to examine how tropes bleed across movies, video games, and TV shows. Welcome to Dystropia. Um, that's we just get that scrolling banner across the bottom yeah. as we're just bullshitting our way through the intro. <laughs> one of our the lower third intro. is just like like the old uh, the ticker tape. Mm. One of our weirdo weirder intros there. Uh, this episode I wanted to talk about comic fantasy, the idea of kind of comedic, uh, satirical fantasy things. Mainly because you were playing World of Warcraft and I was watching that because you had the new expansion, uh, and I watched the first season of Disenchantment. Uh, yeah, and just that as a genre to me is one that's really really interesting and comes with its uh, kind of a huge barrage of tropes. Um, yeah. So, uh, looking at movies, my my notable tropeable straight off the bat uh, is one that I really really I think I enjoy it when I see it and then kind of reprimand myself afterwards. Go no, that was stupid. But the okay. the fantasy pop culture counterpart, which is literally just. Um, like obviously you're in a fantasy realm and they just do a reference joke that is here is what the real world version would look like in this fantasy world uh, yeah. I really really like the knights bit in Shrek I don't know which Shrek it is uh, but instead of cops they do knights there is the second one yeah. this is the second one and I think it's the second one and the joke itself was done in Disenchantment as well yeah Disenchantment yeah it's like it's yeah it's but, it, 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 it's it's a great joke. It is a great, but they do they yeah. do six jokes in thirty seconds. Where clearly they were just having fun with it. Where they're like knights, and yeah. it's the guy doing the voice, you know, tonight on knights. And then it's them capturing people. Then it's donkey as a white horse running. He's go, we got a white bronco t- uh, coming down the highway. And I was like, okay, O.J. Simpson joke. They capture yeah. him, throw Shrek down, and one of the guy takes out a pepper grinder and just starts doing it in his face. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, right, the pepper spray. And then them I taking like, the catnip off puss in boots, and he just goes, eh, "That's not mine." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like the, there was, there was, um, it was definitely, I definitely felt it was better executed than Shrek. But it's, 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 it's been used in loads of stuff. I think the, the kind of the first time I came across it that I visually, like that I proper remember, mm. was with um, Terry Pratchett's Discworld series, the mm. Guards, Guards, and Night Watch and stuff like that. Yep. Where there's the specific. Like for anyone who doesn't know, in like the entirety of Discworld is a piss take and about a piss take and a homage to um to fantasy in general, but also like not just like Tolkien S fantasy or, or Shaws or anything like that. It's also references like folklore and mm. tradition and you know, all these things. So there's um there's uh, but the, as this, there's like three or four books at the start where it follows one specific character or two specific characters I should say. And then it starts to split off and it'll go, okay, here's a book about death and it's the actual fear of death and then here's a book about the Night Watch and here's a big mm. book about the witches and, and it rotates between this kind of ensemble cast that very rarely overlap. Um, it's all just the setting um, and there is a whole thing in that where the, there's the Night's Watchman and and his watch house and all the shit that he goes to and it's like, because it's a fantasy world, it, they play and because it's a book and you have more time to play with it. Mm. They do it more like he's a you know the proper like hard boiled detective. Yeah, yeah. They're, everyone's they're, like, they're know, doing the noir style, but in ye oldie days. Yeah, but no, like, but no one ever like listens to him because they're like, I oh, no, just fucking throw a wizard at it or something. Yeah, and it's like it's it's a real kind of the it's like a, you see it in the odd, uh, 
fantasy as well usually in comic fantasy but not always where like you've got a load of people going like hmm you've got ill humors and you've got one guy going i don't know maybe it's this, these tiny organisms we can't see and people are like yeah. it's preposterous you're a madman yeah. it's like yeah okay we all get it modern medicine <laughs> you know it, yeah. It, but yeah the the, the discord one for guards uh, the guard uh, volumes in the night watch they, they're um that's kind of the most prevalent one I think of that that I think has ever stuck with me. They they do an amazing one in one of the Terry Pratchett books where there's a band playing called We're Certainly Dwarves, which is obviously a mm. piss take of they might be giants or they just do the opposite yes. of each. But of course they're yeah. dwarves and it works perfectly in a fantasy world. Every time I hear that, like I get a big smile on my face. It's like, We're Certainly Dwarves. <laughs> Great name for yeah. a band. Equally as good as they might be giants. Yeah, um, just little things like that. Like, they're great. I'll go through a couple more examples because there's a few I really like. Uh, there's a really forgettable movie called Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters and it's basically Hansel and Gretel from the fairy tale they escape the witch and then you know when they're in their 20s they go around killing witches so the movie is set in their 20s and there's just these two little moments Jeremy Renner in that yes he is actually fucking him and anything with a bow on it yeah it's like like, you know, they, they, they had a special security to keep him off the set of Hunger Games. <laughs> um, actually, I found out recently that him and Jennifer Lawrence are distant relations. Oh, really? Really? <laughs> so Hawkeye oh, and Katniss Everdeen are distant relations. Man. Oh, so, that, yeah, yeah there's, a, there's, there's a crossover there. But uh, there's two little bits in it that, honestly, if they kept going with the kind of comedy tempo, I think it would have been a much mm. better movie, but it turns into an action movie. Uh but there's a bit where he has to keep taking uh, some magical thing and he has to inject it into his side. And like it's mentioned just once. And then you realize it's insulin because he was the one in Hansel and Gretel who got fed candy for a year. <laughs> and now as an adult, he has to take magical insulin. He's like freaking out. And the other thing is they had uh, the missing kids on the side of milk bottles. So like the ye olde milk bottles, the milkman comes put it. And then like this parchment stuck to the side with a bad drawing of a kid's face on it. Like, yeah, 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 of course. The missing kids are on milk bottles. And I was like, that's it. Keep keep a couple more jokes like that. Go a little bit more silly with it. Was this an in-universe sequel to um, Brothers Grimm? No, I, that, Brothers Grimm. That's and a like, shame. Uh, and like Abraham Lincoln, Vampire, Vampire Hunter. Hunter, all came out in quick succession. And I think it, I, I don't know what the, the instigator to that was. Maybe it was Sense and Sensibility and Sea Serpents. And Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, those kind of yeah. those books came out uh, a few years before. Well, no, them. I, I, thought, I think Brothers Grimm was was a, there was a gap between that and and, Vamp, and Abraham Lincoln and Hansel and Gretel. Was there? Um, and I think it was more just somebody was like, but what if this was actually just this? You know, like this is them trying to tone down the shit that happened to. Them. Yeah. You know, and I was like, oh, okay, that could be interesting. Like, and I, I, I like it. I think Matt Damon and, and Heath Ledger had really good, like, on-screen mm. chemistry in it. And it was just kind of like, yeah, this is, this is fine. I, it's a perfectly, it's a perfect three out of five movie. It's, you know, yeah. it's not amazing, but it's not terrible. There's a, do you know what, there, there was a big, long-ass period of time where uh, Disney had obviously taken all the old fairy tales and done animations of them. And then they were just trying out other shit in the public domain. Um, I don't know if Brother Grimm was then, but they had they bought Lone Ranger. They tried so. John Carter. They tried oh, what else was it? John Carter of Mars. Give him his yeah. full title. John Carter of Mars, <laughs> because they thought people wouldn't know what it's about otherwise. Since despite the fact that they well, the, the book trailer... series is like over a hundred years old. Yeah, that is true. I really like John so. Carter of Mars. I really like that one. Um, <laughs> but then obviously I can't, I can't judge. I like bad boys. I yeah. <laughs> But uh, then they found superheroes and were like, oh no, this is what we'll do forever. Superheroes in Star Wars. Give a fuck about old public domain shit that might be interesting. Yeah. 
Um, they, they found it easier to just buy Marvel. Yes, absolutely. Like, hmm? okay. uh, I, I remember on, on the same thing of the kind of the fantasy counterpart, I had a great conversation with you and our friend Justin Webb about um, how in the Warhammer universe, the orcs are all the football hooligans mm-hmm. and the dark elves are all the drugged up yuppies. Yes. And as soon as you... Uh, make have it that they, everything in Warhammer is a piss take of the, the British class system and the kind of British regional um, kind of stereotypes and stuff it makes so much sense like that's oh yeah I, I would happily watch it, that Saturday morning cartoon now where the dwarves are all the, the uh, Yorkshiremen and uh, yeah, all that yeah. stuff and the whole idea is that like chaos was communism and stuff like that yeah, yeah. and the, corrupt, the corrupting influence of chaos and how it would mutate people was because the stuff was all originally written in a um in a very much a cold war atmosphere mm. so it was you know the whole radiation and you know and there was loads of that like yeah it was ridiculous um, and it's and you know kind of there's um one of the very first comics to appear one of the very first strips to appear in 2008 was a thing called nemesis the warlock mm. and um it's him fighting against a dystopian um government and you know like the and the uh, dystopian xenophobic government and all the rest and i honestly at this point it's very hard to figure out whether that was a piss take of warhammer 40,000 or warhammer 40,000 was a piss take of that they are right. both so extremely over the top that it's but, but both interesting you know what i mean like it's this whole thing of like if you just go ham on your story and everything is ridiculous but everybody like there's a certain there's certain things that if you do it right and you like you're winking you're you're winking sideways to the reader yeah but nobody in the universe is aware of it it yeah. can actually be qu- quite interesting like yeah and, yeah I get and, and immersive like like Judge Dredd was very very big for that like oh it was so good I, like it was Judge Dredd is one of the ones that when I started reading it like I was a few minutes and I was like oh my god I I can't believe how wrong my perception of this was that mm-hmm. like I thought it was straight kind of cock rock. Um, no. fascist kind of like this is what we want to do and I was reading it going oh no this is brilliant this yeah, is proper it's... punk like you know surrealist yeah. um, subversive stuff is really good yeah and that's you know the like I think it's just it's to a degree it's a very British mentality mm. in their sense of humour and they all kind of you know 2080 and Warhammer and all that like they all kind of spawned around the same time mm. and there was very much that kind of and I'd say they were very heavily influenced by them being young companies during Thatcher era Britain. Yeah, absolutely. That There's whole, a, like, you know, the punk sensibility and attitude. Yeah, we're talking We're talking about Pratchett and we're talking about um, Warhammer and all these guns. There's a lot of British in the kind of the stuff that we're looking at today. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I mean, I've, I've heard it accused of Americans and I'm hmm. not saying I necessarily believe this, but that like, they, you know, oh, they don't get sarcasm. I just think that they don't, and like sarcasm and their their um, their uh, satire is very overt. Yes, but I think it's more as their satire is very uh, like their sat- satirical comedy is very bit much based in um, present news. It's not necessarily taking the piss out of long term establishment stuff or history or. You know, so it's 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 like it's a whole yeah. different take on it. I think I think you could go back and look at British um, subversive stuff from 
ages ago and read it again and be like oh this still stands up because they are so willing to go to the absurd that it's nearly timeless because of that because you're like listen like Alice in Wonderland was a uh, is a good example of this is a fantasy comic fantasy where the guy who wrote it which is either C.S. Lewis or Lewis Carroll I don't remember which I'm gonna go C.S. Lewis sure why not sure Uh, I don't know why I keep getting those two mixed up Uh, was a mathematician and he hated uh, all this new math, all these imaginary numbers, all this kind of new stuff that was coming in. And he basically was like, well, then it's a topsy-turvy world where anything can happen and pieces can jump off the chessboard. And, you know, maybe the queen has a pig as a son. And he wrote it's this. Lewis, Lewis Carroll wrote. Thank uh, you, Lewis Carroll. Yeah, C.S. Uh, Car- Lewis did Narnia. Narnia. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I had to I, check there. I was like. Sorry. I, I, I read them all growing up in quick succession. So they're, uh, they're all mashed together in my mind. But uh, like it was such a um, that that is a timeless piss take of him just going completely to the absurd, going oh, then it's something like this, and you're like reading it back on here. I don't know the context, but this is great. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it is definitely. I think I'm not saying that they have a monopoly on it, but it's there is a fine tradition in English literature and other mediums of taking the piss mm. uh, out of out of being able to not necessarily look at politics or look at whatever, but just being able to look at stereotypes in society and take the smallest thing and extrapolate it into the extreme for comedy purposes. Like, mm. so. Yeah. Um, One, so what's your film? Let's get started. What's your film? Uh, my film, I do you know, I'll, just with that, with the notable tropable of the pop culture counterpart, I'll go with uh, Monty Python and the quest for the Holy Grail. Right. And okay. like that, it's, it is, it just kind of pulls in some of these ones of, like uh there are some bits where they go into the whole thing of you know um the king comes along and meets the peasants and they're saying like i'm your king and he's like i didn't vote for you like that is 100 yeah. percent just pulling in like putting the words of the man on the street from britain in in the day it's like uh he's like i was chosen i, I you know they, they i was given excalibur by the lady of the lake you know, strange women lying in ponds distributing swords and no basis for a system of government <laughs> I just yeah. immediately going to the extreme and the, the absurd with it. That that to me is um, the absolute kind of. Well, uh, I think it's the Monty Python way. Uh, at least it was something I very much noticed in Eric Idle's parts because it felt it always felt like I'm not. I'm, they might not have done like this, but it always felt like each the core of each part was written by the person performing it. Oh yeah. And then the like so one person can go, I have this bit, and then the others go, Well, I've got a reaction. Yeah. And it's it's the whole basis of improv. It's the yes and or no but. And yeah. it's you know, but they would sit down and they'd hone it, and then others would give feedback. But the Eric Idle stuff always seemed to be, particularly with stuff like that, or um, uh, Michael Palin did it as well, kind of with every sperm is sacred, in, yeah, yeah, and therefore something completely different. Um, but it's this whole thing of imagine, okay, so we've got this very simple premise or very thing you can explain in one sentence, mm. great. Now, let's have someone else completely fail to see the humor and <laughs> completely fail to suspend their disbelief. Yeah. take a modern modern look at it and then just go to town on it. because so, it's the you know it's the the whole the lady in the lake thing yes a thousand years ago people were like ooh mystical but it's the modern day thing of well this is this is ridiculous what makes you better and all this you know what i mean and it's it's that whole upstart attitude like. and in my mind there's three layers of fantasy which is the british mythology lady in the lake i mean that's pure fantasy then there's a religious a religious element to it where they're questing for the holy grail and in my mind all that religion is just pure mythology as well like the whether or not you know you're a religious person uh like there there may 
there might not be a physical holy grail like the thing that you actually go out and find look for it is uh, a whole thing and then on top of that the idea of the monty python humor where it's just like the running around with coconuts doing all that kind of stuff is yeah. is them trying to go even more absurd but it fits in so neatly that you're looking at it going here none of this is any more absurd than anything else yeah um there's a yeah. great a great quote by john cleese where he's saying that uh, when this it wasn't for holy grail it was for life of brian but he's saying that when you start trying to explain with a straight face some of the bible or some of the religious stories to people like it is nearly impossible to do without there being comedy and he's saying like if you were joseph like and you went down to the inn and had to just turn to your friends and go mary's pregnant you're like oh congratulations well of course it wasn't me it was uh it was the disembodied voice of God. It was God, wasn't uh, it? And they all just nod God. and go, all right. And they kind of go, so, so God told you this? No, it was an angel. Yeah. Right. And he's like, okay. but and like you can see some of the lads don't believe him. He's like, hey, lads, it was God. And they're like, oh, okay, Joseph. He's like, I, I believe it was God. I was like, that's that's great, Joseph. You, you, yeah, you. I, I, one guy goes to actually go, uh, hang on. And someone else like stamps on his foot under the table. Yeah, yeah. He's like, and they're like, shut up. <laughs> believe what he wants to believe he's like you know it doesn't mention in the bible that like Joseph had like a wonky eye and none of the women would look at him he's a shoddy carpenter that's why they couldn't afford like a package deal trip to Nazareth I heard someone refer um, I heard someone refer to him as Joseph you know Joseph Christ and I was like I don't think Christ was his surname but thank you that's <laughs> uh, okay yeah what was what was your movie Um, well, in case you stole mine I was going to mention the Adams Family that was my backup Oh really? Because it's kind of a modern day fantasy, but yeah, it's also yeah, yeah. very much steeped in horror lore and yeah, very know, much so. The old hammer horrors and stuff like that, and particularly the visuals. Mm. The visuals are very much a nod to that, and I just thought it was a fantastic. But actually, both films are brilliant. Um, Real Julia doing a phenomenal job as Gomez Adams. The only mm. film he was ever better in was Street Fighter. Ah, <laughs> um, oh, the you know, um, you know when I when I. Killed your family. It was the worst day of your life. For me, it was just a Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, he does such a good line. I mean, you can say a lot of bad things about that film. But there's some yeah. great lines in it. Oh, it's such a good line. <laughs> oh. But um, but yeah, like I, that was just my quick one. It's like I did, I just think it it very much has the whole thing where it, it very kind of reminds me. And I, I didn't put it in for this because we were specifically focusing on fantasy, and I would treat the Adams family as fantasy. Mm. Because it's not trying to shock. It's not trying to scare. It's very much like we have this fantastical setting and we're, and we're a principal of a, con- a comedy. Mm. But it, it kind of... The Adams Family films are almost like a PG version of Cabin in the Woods. In their, yeah, they're yeah. steeped in so many references to films and old TV shows and books. And I just thought that was really good. I, um, I the main one I wanted to mention I'll just go. on the on the Adams family, I think it, um, what a, what a good fantasy setting like this does is it gives you a shorthand to get to the story and get to the comedy quicker. Because if I said to yeah. you, you know the way witches eat children, you'd say, of course, of course, which yeah, I, I, of course yeah, I know yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm, it's, I'm on board. Same with the Adams family. It's like this kid's probably a wolf boy, and you're like, I'm completely on board with this. We'll probably see him worrying the furniture later and climbing up a tree. You're like, absolutely, I'm I'm 100 percent on board. Um, um, I've tried. I tried real quick. I tried watching some of the monkey films from uh, Asia that were filmed in, like, um, I think Hong Kong or China. Yeah. And because I don't know their fantasy, they'll say things like, "You know the way all bandits can turn themselves into a giant fish," and I'll be like, "What the fuck?" Yeah. yeah. Journey to the West. That was a great book. I recommend uh, anyone to read it. Or like one of the numerous adaptations. There's been yeah. amazing games and mm. films and everything else, and the TV series Monkey. 
Mm. Um, but yeah, the 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 main film I want to talk about was The Princess Bride. Ah, yes, fantastic. It, again, it just it like this was what a film made in eighty six, eighty seven. Mm. The book was like early seventies. It was a uh, William Goldman, and that's the book he actually has at the start in the film. Right, he's right. Like reading his son a story, or reading his grandson a story. Is, like it, is it Mel Blanc at the start? Apart. It is. Could be. Yeah. Uh, but he's reading from the book, which yeah. then becomes the. He literally, literally has the William Goldman book in his hand, and he's he he starts reading and he tells the story. Like, I just I loved the pacing of 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 it, the humor in it. It never, it never really. It comes very awfully close to when you know actually turning to the camera and winking into the camera. Yeah. But at the same time, it like it dances along the edge so well. But that that yeah exactly that like. The, the archetypes of this is a swashbuckling hero and you're like okay that's per yeah. I, I know exactly what everything I need to know and he goes here's a villain and now they're going to sit down and try to poison each other and in any other context you'd be like that'd be weird we're like no no obviously you know heroes face challenges and a yeah, honourable yeah. hero can't turn down a duel and this is a duel of sorts and all and this the, stuff like the, yeah go on the fact that he's climbing up and he's like you know okay I'll wait for you and then, you know like when he's climbing the cliff and then he gets there and he's like no 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 catch your breath I'd hate to take advantage and it's like just this the, the sense of politeness all the way through yeah. which is obviously very much a piss take on the whole kind of like Errol chivalry Flynn. and yeah yeah and no but even the, the Errol Flynn like Robin Hood films where you know everyone spoke with the most refined of accents yes. and it's like okay right but it's you know the and then and like when they're fighting and he's like I'm, I'm afraid I've been misleading you my friend I'm actually left handed and he's like oh well I'm also left handed and mm. I was like Okay, so you've got these two consummate gentleman swordsmen fighting each other, and it, and and you don't know which one you're rooting for, as yeah. well, which I love about that scene, and obviously it's one of the more famous scenes of the film. Um, the, but like, it still manages to have like really good comedy, really good emotional storytelling to it. It's got a it's a very simple plot when you think about it, and it's very easy to follow. It it, um, it is very very good fantasy in that every character yeah. has singular motivation nearly. And that is very yeah. classic in fantasy. Like you need to destroy the ring. You need to rescue your um, your wife from hell. Like there's every single old myth is basically a dude needs to do a thing, or yeah, like, it's the hero's journey. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But the guy being like, I must the avenge. Myth, as it's so, exactly. But even just, I must avenge my father's death, and going through it over and over again, you're like, yes, yes. That like such ridiculous motivation. I'm so like that is a perfect fantasy character. There is a, there, I'd say that there is like a, like that's the thing, uh, as you're saying, it's a, it's perfectly, it's a perfect fantasy in that of their motivations, but that's the thing, you could take the, the comedy out of that film and it would still be a decent fantasy film. That is a good point, actually, yeah, you, you know could. I mean, that's, it's not using it as a crutch, it's just another element to the story. It would be the never-ending story if you just took out all the, like it would, it would need to punch up some of the, the special effects or something just for some visual flair, but it would be... A fairly straight movie you could do that that would be all right hmm. and it's that like um and it does like i said it does have like emotional range in it and stuff like that i remember seeing and like i just thought it was like him being a fantastic actor but mandy patinky the guy who plays um Igneo Montoya, hmm. and the i saw him be giving an interview like 20 30 years later 20 years later where he's explaining that whole bit of like you kill my father prepare to die and yep. you know but like when he does it with the real vehemence hmm. later on the end of the film like and he's explaining he's like oh yeah yeah like i'd only lost my dad to cancer like six months beforehand so like, i just treated that as yeah, a yeah. Of cancer and i'm like oh wait to darken that film for me a bit um 
but yeah, I just I just think that's a perfect example of comic fantasy. I think it's almost it's almost the example it, in film. Do you know? I like. I think right in the early days of this podcast, we would pick winners. I think I would give that to to you absolutely the winner because it is a perfect example of fantasy, and it is such a good uh, example of comedy in that they've created these characters who are now self-contained, have their motivations, and at various points they pair them off in different ways just to see how the two different things would like two different characters will bounce off each other and there's more comedy from that and more character from that and the, yeah. the bit where it's like inconceivable and he's like you keep using that yeah. word I don't think you know what it means inconceivable <laughs> um, the, uh, there was another film I was considering but it, like there's one very specific scene that would I think would make it more horror than a comedy a comic fantasy is Willow um, and oh, I, yeah I, I, I think Willow's a great film it was actually like I don't know. I, I liked that a lot growing up. I thought it was a great film. Um, I can't remember Val the Kilmer's scene. What's yeah, Val Kilmer? It's um, the scene when they. It's the scene when they use the wand on the on the dog, and it turns inside out into the giant two headed monster. But you see the dog turn inside out. Oh or no! Not, it might not be. It might not be a dog. It might be like a, a, a like a, It's like a weird creature. But he basically hits it with a wand. Yeah. And it, it mutates, and it is disturbing. I really like, wonder that scene is is like emotional trauma for an eight year old. Like I wonder if I watched that in my friend's house, and my their like mum fast forwarded through that bit or something because I cannot either. That or it's purely like repressed in, in, in there somewhere. It's probably repressed. I'd say check it out, but wait till after the podcast. So you can have your mental breakdown. Yeah, I'll I'll video myself watching it after this, and we'll we can I can if it's any good, I'll put up the we reaction. Can snip it in. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you can snip it in. <laughs> um, but yeah, like the the again, I think like Willow made for a good fantasy film. It just happened to have good comedy in it. Mm. Um, but I don't think that would necessarily hold up as an out and out comedy film, which the way Princess Bride does. Yes, absolutely. So that's just that. that, that those are my main ones. Like, yeah, um, yeah. games. What's your G- game? What's your notable tropable for games? Notable tropables. So the game I, I want to talk to you about mostly is World of Warcraft because I was watching you play it and I have never played a second of World of Warcraft. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you've been playing it since day one. Since day minus six months because I got into the early access. Right. And you've played... So yeah, I was playing it before it was launched. Every right. single version of the game, you take a week off every time there's a new expansion and you yeah. r- race to level cap in probably under two days. It's probably under a day each time. Under a day, under yeah. a day. It's it's uh, it's averaged out at about fourteen to fifteen hours every Crazy. time I've done it. Uh, so and I'll do it in a single sitting. My my notable trouble immediately. This is the stuff I knew about World of Warcraft before, like watching you play any of it. Is that there's a big thing of achievements and achievement mockery. Where okay, they, so yeah, the achievements were, were only brought in. They weren't there at launch, but yes. right. Yeah. So I I remember like reading lists of listicles on the internet of like the the. 10 weirdest achievements in World of Warcraft and it was like die by standing mm-hmm. in a fire shoot the yeah, oppo- yeah, yeah. shoot the opposing king with a pop gun yes and eat so much candy that you puke on All Hallows Eve like these this Correct. is the kind of stuff but they're just fucking with you like you you as the player yeah. who's put so much time in they're well, now so, so setting the, you challenges that take even more of your precious time so the first one that you mentioned there is stood in the fire is yeah. the name of the achievement and one of the expansions so this is the weird thing about World of Warcraft. World of Warcraft has, uh, it has its comedic moments. It yeah. has comedy permeated throughout the entire game, but it actually has a, an incredibly well developed and well written lore mm. that could be taken as complete seriousness. So like Duncan Jones did the the Warcraft film, 
Yes. I liked it. It's there. He did deviate from the original storyline, but he said he was going to do that initially. And Blizzard were like, "Yeah, because we want something a bit different. Mm. We want so we we know you're going to have to customize it for a film aesthetic, and that's fine." And um, but I I, remember, I mean I liked it, but that was announced when the game came out, and the game uh, the game launched November two thousand and four in America. I think it was March two thousand five in Europe. Mm. They mentioned that game uh, that that they were going to do a film in I think it was like 2005 or 2006 right and it took like 10 or 11 years for it to be made but towards the end of it like and it was one of those things that actually a lot of fans were just kind of like yeah it'd be nice if it happens yeah but we still have the game so we're not you know I mean like it's we're still in there and we, living it so it's yeah. you know a, a two or um, three hour long movie would be lovely if it happens but we've played 600 hours or you know over a thousand yeah, hours of yeah, yeah like I've like I've characters that have like a play time like as in actively logged in and playing uh, time of like months jesus so that, that's just a thing like but um but the towards the end of it i was kind of like the, the lore is awfully big i and particularly with the likes of um game of thrones and stuff like that i was kind of like i have a feeling that they should just team up with netflix and do their own thing like mm. just do their own series and tell it because the storyline for like the the films aren't World of Warcraft the film they're Warcraft the film there was three games yeah, yeah. Bef- and expansions before there was that, World of Warcraft that makes more sense and there was a massive amount of lore and like the world of Azeroth where the, the principal thing is set has a massively steep lore hmm. and one of the things is like back when the world was created there was five dragons that were created and they were empowered with different aspects of the planet so you had uh, Malagos who was the go- uh, he was the dragon of magic they're not yeah. gods they don't really have gods in, in well they have like pantheons but the pantheons are like they're actual forces of things that show up. Yeah. They might be just incredibly powerful beings. So you'd like so if, there's Malagos, a, if there's a god, you're likely to meet him at some point. Yeah, but I don't think they ever actually use the term god. Not that I right. can really think of. Um, and one of like certain races in the game might treat certain things. Ah, uh, yeah, that makes sense. But other things wouldn't. They'd just be like, "Well, no, that's just a big bad thing we have to kill." Um, but yeah, so you had Naltharian who was who personified the planet. Like it, you know, he was the the physical help of the world. Mm. And then you had Malagos, who was magic. You had Anachronos, who was uh, time. Sorry, Nazdormu was time. You should have let me guess that one. Yeah, sorry, sorry. No, um, uh, Anachronos is one of his lieutenants. Right. Um, then you had... Uh, uh, oh, what's her called? There's uh, Kelestraz, who's the, um, the, the life one. And they each have a different coloured... Dragonflight. There's well. I was going to say when there's when there's fantasy yeah. stuff, it's like light, time, darkness, nature, magic. Yeah, but that's there's, the thing. They didn't necessarily have like a dark one. There was Ysera who was like dream. So her, like Neltharion mm. was the world, and then Ysera was a god. Uh, was a, a dragon aspect who lived in both the real world and I think called the Emerald Dream. Mm. And the Emerald Dream was like the spiritual reflection of the of the world. Um. So if something particularly bad happened somewhere there was a battle or whatever hmm. the, the, that world like the world would change and then over the years it would repair itself nature would regrow yeah, yeah. bodies would disappear and so on but if you went to that same location in the emerald dream that would be permanently scarred because it's a scar on the psyche of the planet and this is the whole idea and the whole idea was Neltharion became corrupted and became known as Deathwing he was corrupted by what are called the old gods but they're actually just a race of like they're basically like Cthulhu and stuff like that um, and he became corrupted and he was the boss for this expansion cataclysm which was the third expansion and he would periodically in the game 
because he was meant like when he came about is this uh, is this all a build up to the stand in the fire achievement yeah yeah, yeah. This, is literally <laughs> how, this is how much depth they have in these things. oh my god okay um because it's like it's a payoff for the people like me who know all the lore and who know the like who know all the story and then it's just like you know that there's um little small bits and like a person just running like huh, that's funny but then for people are like that's yeah okay that's pretty good like he was telegraphed as being the main bad guy right for the entire expansion and um when he showed up he'd been in hiding and he appears and he basically flies around and fucks up the world entire areas got like they went in and completely redid the maps for areas they flooded areas that were like valleys and um, the like entire areas sunk into the ocean and stuff like that mm. and because he's an aspect he's the aspect of the planet so as he becomes more corrupted the world reacts and he would periodically fly over areas and just breathe fire across like in a big wide swath across the the area and if it hit you, it just instant killed you. Right. And there was a there was a running joke for years of like, you know, like the very first fight in in uh, the very first raid boss, like where you needed forty people, forty people, was his daughter Nixia, and she was a dragon, black dragon. And there was the whole thing of like, okay, basics that you need to know for the fight. Don't stand in the front of in front of her unless you're the tank. Don't stand directly behind her because her tail will knock you flying. Yeah. Stand to the side. Don't aggro the whelps because there was these little legs that would spawn little dragon whelps. And don't stand in the fire, right? And that, that was literally the only thing that you need to know to do that fight. So, and it was like super, you know, don't stand in the fire. And what happened? You stood in the fire, yeah. So it was it was a little nod like that. That like there's loads of these little things, but then you have ones like the, the like, they they still have their serious lore. Yes. You know what I mean? And then you also have these ridiculous bits that that are tied into it. it I, it's so weird when you actually stop and think about it but as a player and if you know it you're just kind of like yeah that makes total sense that there's like that, that they have these both running at the same time like you go around you go into this area and it's like this is like you know somebody unburied something that they shouldn't have yes and we yeah. are all fucked if we don't deal with this right now but the guy you're talking to is wearing a pair of beige trousers a white shirt a brown leather jacket he has a hat, a cowboy hat on him, and his name is Harrison Jones because he's an archaeologist. So it's this, like, it, it's yeah, it's two sides of it. You know what I mean? And he's just kind of like, mm-hmm, okay. Honestly, so, some of this stuff, like, one of the things they do is put cutesy names on big monsters sometimes. So there's Pinky the dinosaur, or there's George the robot, or there's stuff like that. Honestly, yeah. some of that to me isn't even a piss take. That would happen in real life. Like if if there was a oh, gi- yeah, yeah. like if there was a giant mega freighter in real life, there's going to be one called Boaty McBoatface. So there's going to be something stupid yes. because that happens in life. Uh, that that to me is like it just gives it the right kind of flavor. But uh, yeah, the 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 nearly impossible achievements. I assume they've stopped doing that in recent years. Just so that people don't, you know, forget to eat and die. And um, the life. ones for getting like, uh, for getting like realm first, whatever. Um, they were they were taken out uh, because of the what would you call it? Like it, it basically got to the point where people were like, they they were worried. Yeah. This so there was a thing in the game. All right. Um, when the game first launched, they had this mechanic that they had to put in after like the first two or three months that the game was out, mm. because people were playing so much that they had to put in a, a debuff that kicked in after a while. If your play session went too long, you started to take a penalty to the amount of experience you would gain and how well you could fight. Right. Because they were just like, 
this is you know this is um, you put on for 20 hours man yeah it's so we need to uh we need to have something in here that will just make you you know like okay like let's you know let's chill for a bit and then they they changed it around they um they redid it so it was um sorry i'm just looking for a specific thing here um well you're looking for that well you're looking for Um, that go on but yeah sorry there was there was a um there was a whole thing where it was um they they basically reworded it and then there was like oh if you when you log out you gain a bonus and then when you log back in it as long as that bonus is active you're multiplying your experience and all this type of thing and people were like oh okay because what was happening beforehand is people were playing so much that they were forgetting to like famously there was a couple um i can't remember where in asia but there was a couple in asia that were playing who basically forgot to feed their kid yeah you know what i mean there was also reports of like um there was two guys who were sharing an account so one of them would be on playing and the other one would be in work and then that guy come home from work and the other guy go to work and they both like they were college students and you know so they, they shared this one account because they were like there's no point in both of us playing for when we're never going to play together yeah yeah but we can both play in the same house and you know on the same server so if i get something you need i can send it to you and you know grant yeah but it got so extreme that one of the guys needed something so he, so- he logged into your guy's character and just sold off all the stuff and sent himself the gold yeah and the guy got home and freaked out and attacked him like with a weapon yeah again this like, is the this is the kind of stuff i've heard about world of warcraft before without ever having played a second of it i was like yeah this is the yeah but i mean like like people go like oh my god this is amazing you know this is stupid this is ridiculous it's like yeah but that was like three instances or four instances out of a player base of 12 million yeah that's a, like oh I'm, you know what i mean like you you get 12 million people in the room you will get some head cases i'm sorry I, there just will be some fucking lunatics in there i as the avatar for video games in my life that every every like cousin or parent or anything comes up to me and goes have you heard of Fortnite?" and then, as if it's some new drug <laughs> yeah. uh, i'm like do you know people kill each other at football matches every single year like there's there's so much stuff out there i was like the worst thing that you'll do playing Fortnite is you learn an annoying dance that's the worst yeah. that'll happen it's fine to worry about it yeah well what's your what's your specific game though like have you a specific one that you would uh a specific one that i uh, uh i'll come back to world of warcraft in a second but a specific one is uh, zork if you remember that and there was yes there was the um it was a little text adventure game and you you know you uh, appear at the at the doorstep to a white house uh, and you type and you say you enter the house and you go in and then there was zork 2 it was a text adventure and then there was a few other spin-offs beyond zork and i worked on a game called legends of zork and it was an online one it was a facebook game um and it was really really weird because that very first trope that i had of like the the in-game counterpart um, in Beyond Zork, they set up this race of uh, uh, gods called the Implementers, and they were a stand-in for the devs, for the mods right. and the devs and everyone who made it. And they, there was the tomb of the unknown Implementer, and as you walk in, a ghostly voice says, "It's not a bug; it's a feature." <laughs> and it just meant that this kept going. And then, because I got to work on an online version of it, I was quite young; I was probably uh, just twenty when I was working on this. But it meant that we, as the mods, got uh, referred to as the implementers and would be the gods. And because it was kind like it was early days and everything like that, you could just grant people gold and do stuff like this. There wasn't a huge amount of balancing going on, so you could right, okay. you could kind of fuck with people a little bit, and you could grant boons and stuff like that. Um, not sure how much I was supposed to, but uh, the um, it was a really really fun thing, and that kind of joke of you know using satire to pull people down using satire to you know 
make kings look foolish or, or you know make politicians or police or whatever it is in these fantasy settings look foolish that idea where you take something that's so ignoble and so shit on usually the moderators and lifting them up to god status and giving them such a sense of that it was really really funny to me and it was it just meant that people who were playing the game would refer to us as the implementers and would sometimes get really annoyed but not break character like fucking god's forsaken place implementers forsaken place like this is the worst and like you know if we finally fix something it's like ah they've seen fit to grant us a boon (laughs) yeah it's yeah, I, I, I kind of like that as well, though. And, like, there was plans for stuff like that in WoW, actually. That they, mm. they initially wanted it to be that the GMs were more in-game and involved. But they, they it's a recipe for disaster. It, it absolutely they, they is. Never, they never expected the game to sell more than 800,000 copies. Right. Really? Like, they, they just were straight up not prepared for it. Yeah. it Because they, they, they figured it was a niche thing, because it kind of was. MMOs were a niche thing up until that point. And their one kind of blew the doors off it. Yeah, absolutely. But it was for the longest time. It was this whole thing of like, you know, like like another comparable thing in gaming, and it does happen a lot in gaming. Is like, um, the like like Fortnite. Mm. So Fortnite kind of has been the one that's really taken over, part, mostly because it's free and it plays on mobile and stuff like that. Yep. But yes, there's like you know PUBG before it was kind of the one that started to kind of herald the the, the charge of like battle royale games are going to be a big thing now. Oh yeah. But there was numerous battle royale mod- mods and games knocking around beforehand. It can just take, you know, there has to be one that kind of goes that just hits it at the right time. Oh yeah. So and it takes off more than they ever expected it to, because Fortnite was a game before Fortnite Battle Royale. There was it was a squad based uh, game where you like would build a base, but there'd be four of you and you're against AI zombies and stuff. I remember that. Like it was a completely different game. Yeah. And they just kind of went shit. Let's pivot. And, like I've just you know, I've heard so. that Call of Duty are getting like a story zombie mode soon, and I'm just like, yeah, it's funny where you just suddenly realize what people are buying your game for, what people are like. The the story zombie mode just announced the last part. Uh, Cameron was the main writer. Yeah, that's right. And they have like David Tennant and all that doing voices in it and stuff. Like Brilliant. it's it's been and it's been really well received. Like um, it is mad that like you know, but it just kind of shows that like how much all your research and everything else pays off because like they're going oh yes and we believe this is what people are playing and everyone else is already doing something else yeah and within your game and they're like okay maybe we should listen to these people like <laughs> there, this is this is the thing of keep keep making jokes but keep keep your finger on the pulse as well if you if everyone laughs and you go ha they really really like that we should keep going with that yeah uh, yeah and i mean like it's it's a there is an article i've mentioned before or i think it was a video um and it's done by a guy called mark rosewater who's the lead designer for Magic the Gathering. Mm. And he has been pretty much as long as it's been around. And he wasn't the guy who designed the game, but he's been lead card designer for the last 25 years. Mm. And he did a thing um, at GDC, I think it was two or three years ago. And it was basically 20 lessons in 20 years. Mm. And he goes over like his 20 year history at Magic at that point and kind of going, these are the lessons I've learned and how they can be applied to all games. And there was one very thing that he had, he, like, he pointed at one that there's this particular thing called Fibblefip. Right. And it's a little homunculus that appears in a specific card called Totally Lost. And it's just this tiny little homunculus surrounded by oceans of people who are just walking by him on the right. street. And he looks completely out of it. And people went, the community went fucking mad for this card. They loved that little character. So he started appearing everywhere in photoshops and stuff. And they leaned into it and people loved it. And it was, you know, so they he, they put him on more cards or they'd reference him in flavor text and stuff like this. 
Um, and there is definitely a thing of like listen to your audience when it comes to stuff like that even the little inconsequential things that don't seem to matter if your audience lashes onto it it'll take off like so mm. I just wanted to quickly mention though like so and my game is wow you know obviously yeah. like, I was going to mention like Dungeon Keeper as well just as a quick nod because that was kind of more like the single player I, I kind of the one I remember being the main first game that I came across was that could be classed as comic fantasy mm. um, but with wow like like I was saying, like they do a lot of serious stuff as well in there, and I do I, like I don't think the game gets enough credit for it. There is a, I think my just on on that my first game I think was probably Monkey Island. I don't know if that would count as fantasy, but the kind of the pirate setting. Mm, yeah, maybe I suppose Lechuk is dead, so he's a zombie. So. <laughs> yeah, it's a, but uh, go on, sorry, yes. Yeah, no, I was just gonna say that there's a ton of um, in-game memorials in WoW. So to real life people. One of the oh to yes to, to real life people yeah that's a, a really interesting one because it's it is a game with such a history to it like it is it has the so- game launched with a memorial in it really um so the first one was for a character called Roush mm. uh, um and the guy's name was Anthony Stark Tony Stark Iron Man no it was Anthony Stark mm. and it's in an area called Hillsborough Foothills which is a kind of a shoreline. You know, small Europe, middle medieval Europe village, couple mm. of mountain ranges around it, a very kind of just wilderness, and it's an early area game. But in the very southeast corner of it, like blink and you miss it type of thing, and a lot of people wouldn't even have known it was there back in the early days of the game because all the websites and the information and the videos and stuff that are there now, they didn't exist. When the yeah, game of course. Came out. People had to. I remember finding an entire area because the pathway isn't properly marked on the map on purpose. Of course. It's, it's an area called the Hinterlands. It's meant to be out of the way. And when I discovered it, people were like, where the fuck are you? And I was like, this is just this area that you can level in. And people were like, oh, okay, it's kind of weird. But yeah, this one was um, this guy called uh, Anthony Stark. And he died in 2005. So the game, you know, yeah, I think it got launched in Europe with it, but it was put in um, post launch for the US. Um, but he was friends with Blizzard employees and he played the game at launch Right. and he uh, passed away while scuba diving he had a, something wrong with his heart mm. so they basically put a little statue in the corner it's a, it's a grave marker it has Anthony Stark 1961 to 2005 on it and his character Roush is standing kneeling in front of it and there's a specific music that only plays when you're in that specific area of the game Right, and you're thinking like, okay, well, you know, he was a friend of some of the employees. Yeah, yeah. And you know that makes sense. And they've also done it then for the likes of um, uh, the the likes of like um, they've done it for celebrities. So there is multiple Robin Williams ones in the game. That's right, because um, he was a huge, he was a huge gamer. He was a huge wow. Yeah, fan. him, him and his daughter Zelda. Yeah, are, are, were both like huge gamers, and like so um, the. The, like sorry yeah his daughter's name's Zelda after the Zelda games his son's name's Cody and he's never he never confirmed it but like he's kind of winked and nodded at the fact that his son's named after one of the characters from Final Flight right so it's a Final Flight so it's like the you know it, it, he was a massive gamer mm. um, so the he basically what you call it he has um you have to go to a specific island in a specific area of the world and the there's a ramp and on the like on one side of the island there's a giant egg split in two with a lawn chair on one half and a control box um, and lantern in the other right and it's basically Mork's ship oh right okay. of course yeah 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 um, 
and then like there's loads of toys but, and stuff scattered around the place because of toys and then near the ship there's a collection of items right there's a lamp called the ever burning lamp and um, if you click on it which is a, a genie a gin appears called robin right and he basically says that he has phenomenal cosmic powers and and then basically he like bows to you and then shrinks down and walks back into the lamp and disappears and then he like and he and, and he even says the whole itty bitty living space so it's like you know phenomenal cosmic powers itty bitty living space and he does the whole thing and he disappears and then there's other ones that they've said that people haven't actually found yet there, there's a tribute to um uh chris farley all oh, right there. there's a specific character called barney farley um and he does the he I think he does one of the dances that Chris Farley did and stuff like that. And you're like, okay, this is fair. Like these are like and Christopher Rush. We're speaking of magic. Christopher Rush was the guy who came up with the mana symbols for magic. He's right. the artist that did them. And he did Black Lotus. And Black Lotus was also an item in well, at Vanilla Launch, it was the most rare herb in the game. Mm. And there's an area in the game where he there's a gnome because uh, he passed away at the age of fifty yeah. in what, two years ago from a heart attack. And there's a there's a gnome called uh, Topher Rushcog and he's got five gems floating around his head that are the five colours from magic and he's surrounded by a lot of black lotus plants That's and it's just little things like this that they do that you're like most people be like I don't even know who that is yeah it's all really really nice kind of like uh, kind of touches and again it's a it's a long running game it's got yeah, it is big they've, it they've done it to um, sorry they've done it to fans as well They've done it for fans as well. Not people mm. like people who would not be famous in any way, shape, or form. There's one guy called Michael Co- uh, Coiter. Um, his character was just called Coiter, mm. and he passed away age of nineteen, um, sudden heart failure. And there's now his his character um, is in a specific. He died during two thousand four, so he was a, he was in the beta, mm. but I think he was on a different realm to me. I don't remember being on, on my realm because there was only two realms in beta. Um, and he'd done some work for Blizzard, right? Like you know, like freelance type stuff. Um, but his character there's a specific shrine of the fallen warrior because his character was a warrior. Right, right. And you're like, okay, yeah, okay. So again, tangential release. There was a there's an item in the game though, and this is the one that kind of like broke my heart when I read it. Um, I actually remember it happening because I was working there when it happened. Hmm. There was a guy um, who went in called Ezra uh, Ezra Chatterton, hmm. and his character's name was E Phoenix and he had brain cancer right and he was 10 years old and he visited uh. him through the make-a-wish foundation and he helped design an item the look of it and the stats right right the, all the rest and there's a specific weapon um, and like every season they have the gladiator seasons which is basically pvp and they have the weapons and there's like you know there's gladiators and then like the gladiators blah of blah yeah and then like every season there's a prefix the gladiator and his one was the merciless gladiator and the merciless gladiator crossbow because he's a hunter he uses crossbows right, right. if you mouse over the tooltip has written on it designed to e-phoenix's specifications mm. and that's still in the game and it can still be gotten and there's there's loads of stuff like that i mean like they they you know like i said and I'm, I, I know we've been rambling and we might need to trim this bit <laughs> you're right but it's like but it's it's this whole thing of the, the game has a reputation of being like you said it's comedy people know for the jokes mm. people also know for the big like you know the community aspect of it and the big kind of fights and stuff like that and the world building and stuff but they do spend I, they do give a lot back I, but they, do, they don't have to I don't treat uh, World of Warcraft as a game I think of Azeroth as a country I've just never been to and that some people <laughs> some people have lived there for a good long time it's got its own economy it's got its own fucking mm. dialect it's got all this kind of stuff and every so often I've meet people who have either visited or have lived there for quite a while 
And I, like, to me, it is just meeting these people. And sometimes you hear, I hear they kill their children over there, and it's like, eh, that's just racism against that weird country of Azeroth that some people live in. And some people, like, are completely obsessed with it, like, it's the most greatest thing in the world. And it's like, ah, you're just, you know, that's just propaganda for your, for your, your own country. But to me, it is a completely separate, like, place that I just haven't visited. Yeah, it's become a weird entity, and there's a lot of stuff that's happened. There's a lot of stuff that happened in it incidentally that hadn't happened elsewhere. Yeah, like there was a speci- there was a specific thing as well that, um, and you know, again, we're gone well off topic here. We'll we'll wrap it up now, but uh, and get back on topic. But there was specifically a thing where there was a disease from one of the uh, dungeons when I went in. Yeah, and you were meant to do it at max level, and it would pulse for damage and hit everybody nearby, and but, they would get infected with it. Yeah, and yeah, pulse for damage, and. It would either it would expire when the fight was over, or if you died. So if you wiped when trying to beat this boss, you got rid of it. Yeah. But people figured out that if they summoned the pet and the pet got the thing, and then they dismissed the pet, when they resummoned the pet, it would still have it. And somebody basically did this in one of the capital cities. Amazing. And while it would tick for eight to ten percent of a max level character's damage, it could pretty much one shot anyone who was level 1 to 50 yeah yeah but it couldn't it couldn't kill any of the guards so the guards would get it and then they could never get rid of it without a server restart oh it's so good and it would just pulse that data and that information ended up being sold to the CDC oh that's amazing because it is one of the it's one of the only times that they've had perfect data on the progression and uh, on like a simulated progression of, of a virus this, this that wasn't their own you know like that we're putting in our own data and we want to see what happens this was like it was never designed with this in mind, but they were like, it actually spreads organically and they wanted to see how it worked. Yeah. This is where I'm That's saying it's weird. its own country because if I played Skyrim now and I'd never played it before, I can start from the beginning. The graphics will be better than the first time people had it and there wouldn't be the same bugs, but it's, I'd play through it. Yeah, the, don't about the bugs. <laughs> yeah, well, but uh, the World of Warcraft, is it, it exists, the planet, and it exists in time as well. Like, the everything... The, my experience will never be the same as yours. They purposely change it um, throughout <laughs> all the different expansions. They have weird, unintended consequences like this. They change it. They have different people in it. And uh, like I was look, looking at something online the other day, and it was just <laughs> all of the apocalypses that have happened. I was like, mm. the, the sky being torn open, giant planets showing up in the atmosphere, and in the most recent one, yeah. just a sword being jammed into the ground, <laughs> yeah. into, yeah. into the planet, like this eight-kilometer That was sword. all connected, by the way. That's all part of the ongoing storyline. Is it? That wasn't it, just random shit. And I'm like... That was storyline stuff that was set up like 25 years ago in like the first World Cup uh, game. And I'm like, but the, which one of these was the apocalypse? And it's like, none of these yet. <laughs> like, what? No, no. <laughs> this is They're ridiculous. all just like... They were, they were side effects of the, of the apocalypse being averted. But I, I love I'm that, not even joking. I love that you can say to me, were you there when the sky was torn off? And I was like, no, I wasn't. <laughs> but I, I was there the other day when the giant eight kilometer sword landed. It's like, oh yeah, that was a fun day. Yeah, yeah. I've literally yeah. gone in game and flown to the top of that sword. And when I'm at the top of it, I can't see the ground. Because <laughs> my computer, even with everything set to ultra, will not render that far. I've seen guys go to the top and then just free fall down to try and time it to see how big the sword is. And they're like, well, the yeah. hilt is a kilometer by itself. Yeah, it's it's insane. Oh, man. Insane. So good. Anyway, anyway. But yeah. yes, World of Warcraft. It's just, it is massive. It's a massive pool of humor and mixed in the weirdest yet, like, most seamless way with, like, proper storytelling and, like, heartfelt tributes. And yeah. It's just this weird thing. And I think that, like, I mean, I, I can't think of a lot of things that would compare it to it. It's existed for 14 years, 14 plus years now mm. online and in a, in a constant evolving state. And yeah, it's weird. 
But cool. I wouldn't have spent all this time in it if I didn't enjoy it. So yeah, that's it. And it, it is the stories, it is the people, it is the the uh, content creators, it is uh, everything coming together in this kind of perfect model. Hmm. Um, cool for TV shows. What's your notable trouble? Notable trouble. Uh, because I want to talk about disenchantment and talk about the kind of Matt Groening style stuff, my notable trouble for this one's going to be the freeze frame joke. And uh, because I'm watching stuff on Netflix now, uh, it makes it much easier to do that. So all through yeah. watching Disenchantment, which is, sorry, I should explain, is the new TV show from uh, Matt Groening, the guys who made Futurama and originally made The Simpsons. Um, it's very much in the same style as Futurama, I would say. It feels like a... Yes, um, more Futurama than The Simpsons. Yeah. yeah. Um, straight off the bat, it's not that good. Like, it's not as good as Futurama or Simpsons. It is... 7 out of 10 at best. Ooh, I'd say it's better than any of the Simpsons stuff post-season 9. Oh, yeah, sorry. This is... Golden Age Simpsons stuff is, is yeah, untouchable. That's, that's, a, that's a whole different I have, series. I've not so been watching... That's... Yeah, I'm not watching any post-season 9 stuff in The Simpsons. Yeah. Um, I will say that I liked it as much as I'm saying it's not particularly good. I've easily watched the whole season. I get past episode 4 if you're watching it and it starts turning into an arc from there. It, yeah. it suffers from every character being Bender. Like, the, yes. there's a hard there drinking... there's one character I found that was completely unnecessary. Yeah, was it Elfo? Uh, no. No, 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 because Elfo actually has story relevance. It yeah. was Lucy. Oh, yeah, that that has to be... Like, uh, he shows up at the very start and is a bit kind of a... It's basically a demon and it's the... the he even describes himself as like, you know when you go to do something and a voice in your head is, it says, no, let's not do that. Yeah. And, and being the main character is like yeah and he's like I'm the one who's there going do it and I'm like okay so you know but then like she herself is already a rebel yeah and is acting out in all ways shapes and forms so she's a so at least Elfo was like a compliment to her they're they're all oh, yeah. all foul all hard drinking foul mouth characters like even Elfo starts yes. drinking and like starts mouthing off in an elf way to his like he is the bender of his community yes. Um so it it just suffers from that. Honestly, every single Mac Raining season, I, I don't think I like Futurama season one as much as I liked any of the upcoming seasons. I think it'll get much better by season two, and then I'll be eating my words yeah. and saying it's fantastic. But um, it does have the same thing, and I I did point that out the other day. We were talking about it on Facebook and stuff. Um, it seems to me, and I, I, this just seems to be a symptom of Netflix and HBO Go and stuff like that, mm. that because people know that their entire series is going to be launched in one shot, and that they've there is evidence to show that people do binge watch these series mm-hmm. that they're doing a um they're spending the entire season setting something up yes actually that's because you don't have to worry about getting someone to come back the next week they'll just go next episode yeah because i'm hung over and i'm on the couch and let's go that's that's kind of what i talk about them just constantly setting and constantly setting up because uh, in futurama in the very first episode nibbler shadow is visible in one mm-hmm. scene, in the scene where Fry falls into the, the cryogenic freezer pod. So they had yeah. that in mind. They had a bunch of this stuff ready to go. And some of them were just complete jokes. Like there's a free, there's a, like freeze frames on buildings where instead of TGI Fridays, it's called DUI Fridays. That's very funny. Yeah. Uh, they have, um, you know, when they cut to Mexico, just on the sign it says at the bottom, welcome to Mexico, silver medal winner in the Mexico-American War. And that's very funny. And then they have loads and loads of shit in the background in, like, they had characters that would pay off later, they had Lila's parents show up early, they have all the alien languages that, mm. like, translate, sometimes it's just a joke, like, there's a shop selling humane human traps, 
which is wasn't one of them wasn't one of them as well that one of the old languages was French yes the dead language yeah uh, crazy gibberish um, so I was watching Disenchantment because it's now we're post Gravity Falls post Rick and Morty like this is mm. people know that like there there are obsessives watching these shows I was looking out for stuff in the background and things like that uh, they had a few good ones they had Kraken Barrel instead of Cracker Barrel and just the big mm-hmm. shop uh, the spotted liver for a name of a pub and we're like that's good that's a, a very British sounding name yes uh, the, the, there was something that I used to say about the freeze frame thing I did literally like blink and miss something when I watched this enchantment that was on my second monitor and I was playing World of Warcraft on the other yeah. one um, and every time it cut to a new scene I would turn and, and watch it to make sure because they always had those gags at the very start yeah, yeah. and the one I missed was the name of the pub the flying scepter oh yes Be- because <laughs> it's where the king the, throws the, the king scepter. likes to just pick a scepter and just fuck it out the window in anger <laughs> And there's like about 10 of them just embedded in tables and window frames and stuff. So the first time I actually like, I, I, you know, I've seen the Pope kill, and I, but I missed that joke. And then, you know, it's shown again later in the series. I was like, oh, okay. That explains why in that other episode, he was sweeping up a load of scepters. Yes. I was like, what the fuck is this about? Like? So uh, yeah, there is very much the freeze frame, like very much blink and you miss it. Uh they do but some of the ones are just silly and I like the one where it's like a dude just selling he's got a little cart with fresh dog milk and he's like handing out milk to people and that looks really innocent until you've read the sign and then there's like a couple of dogs in the cart like looking happy and you're like yeah okay that's weird yeah uh, yeah they're, they're probably they're like it was one thing I found about the, the series and because I kind of I've been aware of this whole thing where they just spend a season setting up yeah, I was kind of like, yeah, I don't, I, I don't mind. Like, and I was kind of like, I could see them building pace from minute one, and they, the, but I don't think I laughed out loud till episode four, uh, four or five. Yeah, it's which was like, mm, that's not great for a Macroning thing. That's normally I, like, you know, that's rare. That's very rare. Like yeah. Futurama episode when you're laughing out loud at some stuff. You know what I mean? Like exactly. This was kind of like, mm, I don't know about this, but again, I think he was just because it was like. Because it, because they knew we're going to release ten episodes, it's five hours, and it's a single contained thing. Yeah, we'll have credits, but whatever. I I just I needed to be I needed to be denser somehow. Like I there's just something about it that like I was watching out for this stuff and it wasn't in there. And there was like exactly it took me too many episodes to start laughing, um, and it took too many episodes for me to start like feeling the characters a bit. Um, the the I'll make a prediction based on watching it and looking out for things, there is a scruffy servant girl that turned with her hair over her face and she's in about four or five different episodes, always just in the background or doing something or washing someone's feet or like just doing something. There is no way that they don't do a parent trap there and swap lives with the, the princess at some point. Uh, or they use her for something. Basically, she's been in the background enough times for that to be really significant. Mm. Um, they also do a really... They do a Futurama reference where during a fast forward scene where they're magically looking at something that happened in a room in the past, there's like this yeah. ghostly figures appearing, disappearing. For one frame, a time machine from Futurama shows up and it's got Fry Bender and Professor Ferns with it. Now, it's a complete joke. There's no way that they're going to link these together because they're no. owned by different companies and stuff. But my prediction is this is all in Futurama and they're going to link these together. <laughs> and people are already trying to link them Yeah. Online. Later, people are like, "Shut the fuck up!" It's just, just accept it for what it is. Like, it's different, you know. Yeah. And I, like, I mean, I thought, um, I actually liked that they had 
John DiMaggio not playing the drunken yeah, fool. That was nice. As the king, and I was like, okay, that's that's cool. Um, I thought Alpha was, was at least a, a foil for, you know, if you're going to have a cynical... So, like, what they... they um, being an Alpha is essentially uh, Leela and Fry. Yes, 100%. The, the main focus is now on... Leela. The Leela character and not the Fry character. So, you, But you still need that innocent hopeful dimwit yep. to just come in and be like you know but occasionally get like oh I'm gonna do this god damn it you know so like because that, that that dynamic has worked obviously it's something that Groening knows quite well uh, but it, it, it more felt that like the, the, like Lucy wasn't enough of a difference to anyone no he, I mean to, to actually make him relevant even though he's like very much billed as the other th- the third main character in this and it's like yeah, but he's he, not really needed. He is the element of Bender that when Bender sometimes uses his robot skills to get in or out of a situation, that's what Lucy yeah. does. He, like, twice in the season uses demonic skills to help everyone out. Um, yeah, it's a bit of a weird one. Uh, I really liked that they subverted the usual thing in fantasy, the very Tolkien-esque thing, that ugly creatures are bad and the pretty creatures are the good ones. And there's a bit where, like, they go and kill a bunch of what are basically orcs and then bring them back and he brings back the head of the leader and he's like those aren't orcs they're norocks that's our allies and he goes oh and he just puts the head in his stake he goes then let this be a warning to your other allies yeah it was like they do yeah, that, he, they do that a few times where you think the ugly creatures are going to be bad and you're like no they're just all equally races yeah, and fantasy creatures who gives a fuck who's good or bad yeah um, I did, yeah it did have it did have some some bits that were i i liked but it just yeah, if, uh, do you know what? Actually, it suffered from the same thing that all the uh, the Netflix Marvel stuff suffers from. It's like two episodes too long. Yeah, yeah, that's it. You, you could have trimmed it down. You could have just condensed it, condensed your jokes more because condensing jokes works better than in any other format. Mm. You to condense the drama, it can kind of feel rushed. You condense jokes, it's just you're not giving the person time to let up. Yeah, and that can actually feel better. Man. watching it where you're like, I'm I'm laughing constantly. This or I'm 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 experiencing humor constantly. This is better. Going back through Futurama or Father Ted or something that has like a, a lot of jokes very quick, it means that on your second viewing, you're now catching stuff that you were laughing over in the first viewing mm-hmm. and that you're now catching again. It's, it can be just really, really rewarding. Um, yeah, it did feel, it's, it felt stretched a little bit thin, but honestly, I, I do think they're finding their feet. I think the next season will be like suddenly a fantastic one. On the, on the, freeze, fr- on the freeze frame jokes one, I'm going to do my favorite Simpsons one. Because uh, they are like that, they do an establishing shot, and they'd be yeah, like yeah, yeah. a sign for Winnipeg, and it would just say underneath, "We were born here." What's your excuse? But um, yeah. they did one one time where they cut to a farmhouse, and the name of the farmhouse was Sneed's Feed and Seed, and then underneath it it said formerly Chucks. And I remember just like seeing that, and then it cutting away, and in my head going, "Chucks." Suck and some okay. Yeah. I was like, that's yeah. such a weird joke, and you made me do the work. Yeah. It's so good. The, the, I think that the building names and stuff like that, or the the signs outside the church or the school oh, yeah. for meetings, they're like some of the best jokes. Like, they, they're some of the most consistent jokes. Like, the what was it? The um, such and such as child psychiatrists, where, uh, uh, where imaginary friends go to die. Oh, yeah. Was, oh. It's like, that's brilliant. Or where he goes to get it's... his ear pierced, and it's like, if it dangles, we'll punch a hole in it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. The church ones, um, there's something about Virgin Mary, who was one of them. And then yeah. I think the first one I noticed was no shoes, no shirt, no salvation. 
Yes. It's just really... That's, they don't even have to be the best ones in the world, but like, if you're doing an established shot, why not fuck a joke in there? Yeah, and uh, there was also briefly, there was the, the billboard in one of the episodes of Millhouse, and it was like, missing child, no reward. Which <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love. Oh, I love did. any jokes involving Millhouse. Like Every, you know. They did ones where uh, they would cut to like the other side of the tracks, and they had like an, uh, a porno theater, and they had the, two, the, the pornos playing where Crocodile done me, and for your thighs only. <laughs> Yeah, and I love that. I love how much they just see what they can get away with. They didn't curse at any point, but they're like, "There's some they weird also, stuff." They in also, there. I think, I think one of them they they <laughs> the film playing was "See You Next Wednesday." Was that right? They love. got one of those yes. in. Fantastic. Because "See You Next Tuesday" obviously yeah. is the acronym acronym for cunt. Yeah. But it's also the name of the porno that's playing in American World in London when he goes into the theater. Yep. Um, but the fact that it was "See You Next Wednesday" and I was just like, brilliant. Yep. this is such a little yeah okay uh, um, cool what was your uh, what was your TV show uh, Happy oh fantastic yes uh, I watched that a while ago I watched it in a fairly straight kind of binge of a few days and then didn't know if I could recommend it to people <laughs> yeah, I know I know there was one person that I was I knew for 100% I could recommend it to and would like it hmm and a former guest on the show, Kev. Oh, Kev recommended and it. I emailed. He was the person who told Kev. me about it. So, friend of the show. There you go. That that well, that's he heard it from me because I emailed him as soon as it came out. I, like so, happy stars. <laughs> so from Maloney. This is our it follows. Then you gave it to Kev. Kev gave it to me. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and now you gotta have sex with her. It's gonna come back. And, um, All right. <laughs> so stars Christopher Maloney and Pat Oswalt. Yeah. And it's based on a comic book, a four a four issue comic book, which is assembled into a graphic novel, written by Grant Morrison, mm. who I can't think of a bad thing that man has written. Yep, I could do an entire episode just on Grant Morrison and and how much and this bit like, no matter what you were looking for in comics, I could find you a Grant Morrison one that not only would would fit that would be like a superb example of it. Mm. Um, but the, so it's about a ex detective. One that, formerly one of the best in the MIPD, who's a washed-up alcoholic hitman, mm. and he his daughter, who he doesn't know about, from his estranged girlfriend, gets uh, kidnapped, and her imaginary friend, a purple flying unicorn called Happy, the uh, Happy the Talking Horse. Yep. Um, really tracks him down. Proper cartoon car like proportions yeah, and everything on. big like, snout smile sparkles and, and and very very much um looney tunes physics yeah. and everything else and how it moves and shapes its body and everything and randomly pulls like you know clothing and hats and props out of nowhere and yeah. shit um but yeah so he can only be visible to someone who is genetically related to the person he is assigned to as an imaginary friend mm. So, um, other kids can see them, but not necessarily. Like, if they're an adult, you have to be like related to the kid who you're assigned to as an imaginary friend. Yep. And she gets abducted, so he goes for uh, for help and basically tracks down uh, her dad, uh, Christopher Maloney's character, who at that time is currently recovering in the back of a hospital from a heart attack, and um, he was already on numerous. Uh, I, it had a lot of alcohol and was probably on numerous drugs. Yep. And it becomes this um, demented kidnap rescue thing. 
Yes. And I mean demented. It is the it is, it is the buddy cop of the darkest noir yeah. that you can come up with and the lightest Looney Tunes. And as you mentioned Looney Tune physics, I really 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 liked in Happy how if you watch like the movie Sin City or something like that or like if there's a really tough character, he'll take like all the kicking in the world. You can beat the fuck out of him and he's never going to go down. Like he'll always come back up. He like he'd be bloody things going out of his mouth. They kind of do that where Happy can take anything because he's a cartoon but this noir character it's nearly the fantasy of noir that like you know that you can't you can beat this guy forever and he's never gonna he's never gonna stay down yeah. and they and, kind of, and like, they play it to extremes it's the best yes like there, there is there's very much like um, so it is intensely graphic in its violence mm. um, like he is a hitman so and it, like he's dealing with mobsters and gangsters and if a group of them come at him, it's not like, you know, a quick shootout. It's like he will bludgeon one of them to death with a fire extinguisher. Mm. And yep, yeah, cool, we'll show that. Because it's played off. It's it's similar to um I didn't uh the Deadpool effect I can call it, I suppose. But it's it's um it's played off against Happy's reactions. Because Happy yeah, is yeah. normally around an eight year old girl and he's just horrified by this stuff. But then he he doesn't always quite understand what's happening either. Which is which is great, but if you like like uh, like I mentioned in Deadpool, like or remember I think we mentioned on the podcast before, but somebody was talking about Deadpool two before, and they were like, the flashback thing kind of got a bit annoying, and I was like, well, that was there to make the film palatable because if not, that film is starts off with a little bit of humor, yep, where you see him working at the little uh, the sisters of, I can't remember the name, uh, sisters of mercy, company. charity, no, it's like sisters, uh, little sisters of Bernadette or something, oh right, some yeah, but he's working there. Then he gets, you know, falls in love, and you're like, oh great. Then you have this really dark period where he gets diagnosed with cancer, and then finds he's going to die, and then get volunteers for the program, and gets abducted, and gets mm. tortured, and tortured, and tortured, and tortured, and tortured, and essentially set on fire, and then um, gets ma- massively scarred, stalks his ex girlfriend, and then the happy fun stuff happens as he decides to get revenge. So that like there has to be that playoff, which is why they have to have those heavy moments in between the comedy yep. and that's why that, that film has to be told in flashback and we're happy it's a case of there is a character there that only the main grizzled noir hitman can see but every but like and the audience can see it but everyone else is like what the fuck is he talking to himself is he proper gone off the edge like it, it, the, it's violent but it's it's the violence is also kind of suitable for what's going on in it yeah like it doesn't feel like okay well you're just going into ridiculous territory here but it doesn't flinch away from it it, in it, fact, it uses it as a as a setup for jokes with Happy. Yes, it gives it gives you a couple of uh, over the top, surreal, violent bits in the very first episode that kinda is there to gauge if you're cool. Yeah, <laughs> it's like here's here's how we're opening. It's like you're good with that. Okay, let's keep watching. Yeah, and and it it's kind of got you've got like the innocent, you've got the naive humor at the situations that you get from happy yeah. you also have the purposely sarcastic humor that you get from i think ray is his name and um, christopher maloney's character and mm. um, like like there's this one there's a whole fucking there's a car chase and the car flips yeah and and all the rest like it crashes off the thing and it flips and it's like they get out of the car and he's the christopher maloney's busted up and he's like you know like in the previous few days he's been in hospital and um, he's been like he's had a heart attack he's had one of his arms slashed open he's been shot like bulletproof vest but he's still taking the impact damage and stuff 
and he's like flipped a car and all this type of thing and he climbs out and Happy's like oh my god your driving's horrible and he's like I don't know what you're talking about. Look at all the traffic we missed. And he just walks off. <laughs> and as he's walking, the whole thing's set at Christmas as well. That's the, yes. As he's oh, walking it's... off, there's loads of people looking at him. He's like, Happy Christmas, everyone. And he just wanders out. <laughs> and it's Actually, so like that, it's so incongruous in, in, in how it does that, it. But it's, it, it's very well balanced. That is another genius moment in it is to set it at Christmas because you have New York City in its squalor and all the lights and happiness of of Christmas and it's another way of going juxtapose like the most whimsical and the most harrowing at the exact same time to yeah. the point that he's wearing a, hap- a Merry Christmas scarf and it's like yeah he always has like a scarf or a silly hat yeah like and like, it's something filthy. blatantly Christmassy it's, I think at one point he has the Christmas jumper on him yeah and, and it, but the, it's always massively at odds with the fact that he's bandaged up and bleeding yeah. and, and it, it it shows that honestly he like he's not an angry, hateful person. He's putting this stuff on. He's like, "Hey, you know what? Come on, you know, life's too short. Fuck it. Let's let's have a bitter cracker." Yeah. Uh, I really was super interested in that as to what point. Uh, Any time there's a movie with an imaginary friend or anything like that, they always have to have the point where the person accepts the real. There has to be the little, no, no, I'm, I'm, you know, it's it's in the hero's journey. Happening. It would be the denying the call and then the crossing the threshold yeah. would be accepting it and going on the adventure and having this invisible mentor slash buddy character uh, and I honestly was watching it and there was various points where he was completely going along with things and I was looking at him going you still don't believe that's real <laughs> like you yeah but it's like there, there is even the thing himself where he's like have I just drank so much I've fucked my I, I've, I've messed my own yes. head up like so he's kind of wondering like is this brain damage from the mm. heart attack is this is this the drink yeah, but I think the mo- the moment when he figures it out is when it's the poker game, is when you really think there's a poker game in it, where he has Happy tell everyone's hands yeah. constantly, and he just rakes in the money. But it's <laughs> like he's losing up until that point, and then he's like, "Hang on a minute, you can no one else. Okay, I need you to tell me what's in everyone's hand." And, yeah. he, and like it just from that, like the whole thing changes, and at, at that seems to be the point in the show where he just goes, "Okay, I'm on board." Yeah. Like we've been hanging There's out. moments beforehand where he's like, "Okay, I believe you're real." Then he's kind of going back on it, and yeah. he's like, "Okay," and then he's going back. So. Um, no, it is a it is a really really good show. I'd recommend it. Hugely violent. My I have one weird thing with it, which is with all Grant Morrison stuff, uh, where at one point they go to they use a sex party to show that somebody's really really villainous, and it's like, ooh. Like this is this is the kind of thing that villains get up to, and it cuts to a really dark sex party. That's fine. I don't mind using that. It's a very good shorthand. But I know Grant Morrison must have been to at least one nice sex party. He. I'm just the the the, the this, uh, just the sex party in that particular show. As yeah. well is fucked. <laughs> it doesn't even show anything, but it's still fucked. Did he? Which I just think is a remarkable accomplishment. Yes. Oh, absolutely. It's the it's the same with. Hold on. Let me look around. Who did Preacher? That's Grant um, Garth Ennis. That's Ennis. Yeah. yeah, the two of them. Every time they do sex parties, they're doing all this kind of stuff. And I was like, you guys know too much not to have been to a sex party. And you always make them so horrible and dire. Give me one nice, weird sex party that everyone walks away from. Gone. But see, well, that was again, a laugh. this is the whole thing. Like Ennis <laughs> is from Ennis is from up north, Northern yeah. Ireland. Yeah. And Morrison's Scottish, and it's they're both like it's again it's that British sense of humor. Yeah. British influenced. I say British. It's the UK and Ireland. It's the British Isles sense of humor coming in. Um, yeah, it's like I don't know. Like some of the best comic writers of the last few years, I would argue, have all come out of uh, 
I'd say two of the be- of the five best have come out of Northern Ireland mm. in Mark Miller and Graham Morrison. Mm. Um, I'm sorry, out of, out of Scotland, I should say. Sorry, Scotland, not Northern Ireland. Um, but yeah, the happy is. It is. I think like I'm I'm not someone who's fond of Christmas. I'm not someone who really celebrates Christmas. But I think this will be something I'll watch every year just to. Yeah, that is a good point. And at the very uh, not to no, I won't say that that'll spoil something. But uh, yes, there it is something I will watch again. It is very very good. Yeah. Um, fantastic. Yeah, I'm very happy with that uh, choice. <laughs> cool. So, um, so I think that's it. Apart from my ramblings in the middle. That's all right. Uh, but yeah, hey, you. And actually, let's make this clear right now. And I want a disclaimer when we're posting this on Facebook. I wasn't the one who picked World of Warcraft. You were the one who picked World of Warcraft. I 100 percent right? picked World of Warcraft. I man, staring into it as a cultural artifact is was something that I've never. Uh, it it genuinely feels like I've never heard of France or something like that. Like it is. Yeah, but you but you knew you knew asking me about it was going to set off that type of rant. Oh yeah, That's like bringing absolutely. a junkie into a room and going. So tell us about cocaine. <laughs> and they're like, okay, I'll I, tell you about cocaine. I'm not going to lie I had a bunch of bullet points where I was like, all right, if he goes too far, I can interrupt him with some of these more, like, uh, kind of a little bit more lighter things. And then you're like, let's talk about all the shrines to dead people. I was like, can I interrupt this? That's fine. <laughs> well, no, I mean, it was more just, like I said, it's it, it does, ha- like, its most famous reputation is for being fun, for having the comedy. Like, the comedy thing is kind of well mm. known at this point of how well they do references. Yeah. But the fact that they've also put this other stuff in yep. is something that I think is like deserves to be recognized because it's mm. they're always out of the way. They're never obtrusive. They're never like I'm sure there's some in the new expansion. I just haven't found them yet. Yep. You know yep. what I mean? So um, cool. Uh, as we said a couple episodes ago, if you like this podcast, please tell a friend. It is the easiest way for us to, to kind of get out there, get a few more listeners and uh, kind of grow the brand. Oh, I'm mad into that these days. Madness, madness. Well, no, it's it's the whole thing of like, the more people that are out there, we, it's it's like anything. The more people that are listening, in in any conversation, in any type of entertainment, only a very small percentage will give feedback, and that's totally mm-hmm. fine. We get that people just like to absorb it and then move on. They don't want to be like, oh, do an episode on this. Oh, have you thought about doing this? Have you talked about this? You're doing this wrong, or have you thought about changing this up? The more people we have, the more feedback we get. Mm. The, the and like it's you know it, it, it's incentives for us because there is times where we're kind of sitting there going what are we going to talk about next and then we have to scratch our heads for a few minutes whereas particularly in the early days and when we um we were we, we had a, a, a backlog that we we're like we want to get mm. through this and we noticed a hell of a lot more out there um but it's just a matter of like what would you guys like to see us do yeah and the more people that there are listening the more feedback we get on that and you know we can refine so and if you have a feedback, hit us up on Facebook, Twitter. Uh, yeah. Watch Glennon on... Just, just, just open a window and shout out. <laughs> sure yeah, we'll find you. Uh, I'm always watching. Uh, follow Glennon on Twitch. We were talking about World of Warcraft there. He's playing a lot of it this week. He'll be playing um, new stuff pretty much every evening of the uh, work week. It's Braxfen, B-R-A-X-I-F-E-N. Uh, I am now on Instagram after... Uh, resisting it for years and years so I'm Pyramid Header if you want to have a look at that um, cool I think that's it any, any, any of our regular listeners who follow us on Twitter um, would have seen me post the photos of Johnny at Dublin Comic Con dressed as Pyramid <laughs> yes so yeah uh, I also love the fact that like that we're on Twitter I would like to see more people follow us on Twitter because Johnny doesn't have any access to that he does have the username and password but he doesn't log into Twitter he doesn't use Twitter so I can say whatever I want about <laughs> him and, and he can't really refute it or even check it 
I, so yeah. I you could say absolutely anything under the sun and I still wouldn't refute it. I would probably pretend <laughs> yeah, I, I would just go with it no matter what. You would like, yeah, sure. Yes and <laughs> <laughs> Alright guys. Take it easy guys. Thanks very much for tuning in. Have fun.